Welcome to the Westminster Chapel podcast. For more information and to support our mission to London and beyond, please visit westminsterchapel.org.uk. I'm going to read from Mark chapter 5, verse 1 to 2, um, from the ESV version. Um, and it's called Jesus Heals a Man with a Demon. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him any more, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Thank you so much. What a great reading. Well, it's a joy to have Ephraim and his wife Judith here. Um, Thank you so much for giving up time to be part of our church today. Um, Ephraim works, obviously, for London City Mission. He is the director of training and mentoring. Uh, some years back, I can't, don't know how many years, I couldn't find that out, but you were part of a duo, of a rap duo, the Ministry of Defence, which I think is fantastic. He's also a pastor at a church in Lewisham. Uh, and we've been trying to book him for a while to come and speak because Stephen, one of our elders in the church, actually heard him some years back and said, this man is just He's really anointed of God. It's taken a while because of the pandemic, but we're so delighted to have this opportunity. So let's give him a massive welcome as he comes up to share. Thank you. Thank you, Harold. Good morning, everyone. And thank you so much for having me. I feel like I'm among family. Amen. We do give thanks to the Lord. And you know what? I come from Pentecostal roots, right? 
And so that means I like people to preach with me. So if I say amen, it's an invitation and not just a declaration. I'm looking for a response. Amen? Amen. Come on. Praise be to God. Hallelujah. Now, it's a joy to see the work of the Lord that he is doing among you. There is no doubt that as I... We had our thanks... LCM, London City Mission, had our Thanksgiving service here, um, I don't know, a few months back, just before Christmas. And there was such a wonderful presence of the Lord and a real sense that the Lord is among you and doing something special. Um, Your hosting of us has continued to be talked about within the organization, and we're just so grateful for the fact that there is a vibrant ministry going on here at the heart of London, right on the King's doorstep. Praise be to God's holy name. Amen. Amen. Am I allowed to turn this? I feel like I'm slightly at an angle. Is that all right? Yeah? Cool, cool. Amen. So, as we come to our text this morning, there is a sense in which it could be faced with a certain level of fear, a certain level of intrepidation. This can be quite a touchy subject, especially if we consider the way in which our culture seems to take great delight in scaring the living daylights out of us. You have films like these that are regarded to be amongst the most highly rated horror films, and even up to now, I still don't understand what the appeal is. I don't do horror films. (laughs) Amen. I've got a witness in the building. (laughs) And so to meet horror in the scripture almost makes me feel like I want to flip the page and keep moving to the next section. And yet, this isn't an occasion where we're going to be walking away cowering in fear, um, wondering uh, about demons and spirits and so on. Actually, when Mark wrote this, he didn't write this to glorify the devil. He wrote this to glorify Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. And sometimes the temptation as a preacher can can be to preach something that is somewhat sensational because you want to kind of get people engaged and have people talking. But there's nothing more sensational than rejoicing in the victory of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We don't need to respond in fear. The title, Facing Our Demons, is such that it's a common phrase used for people who are maybe wrestling with inner turmoil, wrestling with issues that are kind of plaguing them, hard to shift, things that may not even be very um, uh, well known to others. And as you hear the text read and you see the title, Facing Our Demons, it might put you in a space where you begin to think about the challenges that you face. There is encouragement for you today. All is not as it seems, which is often the way with God. Now, I know for me, one of the the big challenges, and if you like, uh, one of the, the, the demons, if you like, I've had to wrestle with, metaphorically speaking, is sharing the gospel. And some of you would say, amen. I can relate to that. I remember when I first engaged in street ministry, it was completely off the cuff. I grew up in the Brixton area, and I was outside the Brixton tube station, and I was 
I, was just, I just felt motivated to, to speak to some Muslims that were out there. Talk about jumping in with both feet into the deep end. This was one of my first experiences of sharing the gospel. And I just had a lot of zeal and not a lot of knowledge. And that zeal really overcame me in the moment. And I was there reasoning with these Muslims outside the, the tube station. And at some point, we got onto the matter of original sin. And I said, yes, you see, because the first man, Abraham, he is the reason why we're in this situation. And then they stopped me and they said, yeah, my ak. Are you sure about that? And I said, yes, yes, yes. The first, the first man, Abraham, he, he is the reason why. And they said, Abraham, yeah? Now you have to bear in mind that Abraham is also a significant figure in the Islamic um, faith. So it's a name they're familiar with. And they knew that he wasn't the first man. <laughs> and so at that point, they kind of looked perplexed because they didn't know where to go from there because they knew I had it wrong. I was convinced I had it right, and not really taking into account the fact that instead of saying Adam, I've said Abraham. Maybe it was the Lord's mercy, because at that point, the conversation dissolved, and we went our separate ways. And it was as I was walking down Acre Lane back to my house, I realized, what did I just say? No wonder they looked at me like I was the biggest fool in the world. The first man, Abraham. And you know, that experience lived, has lived with me. Sharing the, the gospel with Muslims is a challenge. And yet, we're able to recognize that there is hope in that. Amen. In Mark chapter 1, verse 1, Mark sets out his stall. He, he declares his opening gambit. And he says, you know what? This is what this gospel is all about. This good news, this great news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That was a bold statement. You know, many would have regarded prophets in the past great teachers, rabbis, but none would have the audacity to claim to be the son of God. And so Mark's whole gospel is defending that very basic declaration that he makes from the outset. Jesus is the son of God. Now, when I speak about facing our demons today, this isn't an occasion where we're going to be engaging in, as, uh, as one brother said, um, introspective navel-gazing. This isn't about us doing some group therapy today. Actually, as good as that might be, there's a better point of focus for us to have. And that is the fact that Jesus himself faced our demons. Amen? Amen? Amen. Jesus himself faced our demons. When, when I talk about facing our demons, I'm talking about the fact that Jesus himself, God among us, came and faced down the, the, the wickedest 
worst expression of evil that could have been noted. Mark had already given some indications previously of Jesus' encounters with evil, with what are known as unclean spirits. You have God and you have angels and amongst the angelic hosts, there are those which are considered holy angels and those which are considered unclean, also known as demons. And then there are people. And Jesus had encountered unclean spirits and commanded them, but none quite like this. In, in chapter 4, Jesus had, had come and he was there on the boat and he calmed the storm and they're in that boat as they approach the land that they're about to descend upon. As they descend, we see this encounter that expresses what I would say are five dimensions of Jesus' character, of Jesus' person. Five dimensions. The first of those is Jesus the compassionate. The compassion of the Lord knows no end. In fact, many will be familiar with the verse that states, the mercies of God are new every morning. His steadfast love never ceases. I've been a Christian a lot of years and uh, there are lots of Bible verses that are turned to song in, in our heritage as Christians. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. New every morning. Anyone know how that finishes? Great is your faithfulness. Some old school in the building. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Great is the faithfulness of God. Now you have to understand that Jesus has just spoken calm to the storm commanded the storm to calm, and the disciples are in astonishment. They said, who is this to speak to the, to the winds and the waves, and the, the, even the very sea obeys him? And yet, they weren't aware of what was to come, because as they progressed across the Sea of Galilee, they arrive at this location, and um, I don't know how to say the word, and so... If it's Gerasenes, Gerasenes, I'm not sure. But I do know that this location was a place that was predominantly non-Jewish people. This was a, a, a Gentile region. So Jesus wasn't coming amongst his own people and, and amongst those who knew about the teachings of Moses and David and Abraham and had the Psalms and the prophets. No, these were uh, non-Jewish people who had no reference of that nature. This area was classed as the other side. The other, as in that place over there. It's like, it's not the place that we really frequent. And yet Jesus was crossed over to the other side. 
Sometimes we feel that challenge. Sometimes we feel that challenge of seeing that person who's maybe looking for change. And they're, they're quite imposing. And they make us feel uncomfortable. And our inclination is to cross over to the other side. And yet, Jesus did cross over to the other side to meet that person. Such as is his compassion. You see, Jesus crossed to meet the person that was considered a problem. When other people saw a problem, Jesus in his compassion saw a person. And even though this person was a problem, I mean, we read right, they tried to chain him, he'd break the chains, they'd put him in shackles, they couldn't control him. I'm sure if they would, they would have served him an asbo, and it still would have done no good whatsoever. He was out of control. He was a social terrorist, making life a misery for the people. They lived in fear of him. And yet Jesus went to that other side to meet with him. And we understand this because at the end of the encounter, when the people encourage him to leave the region, he leaves. He doesn't do anything else there. He doesn't stay there. He, he doesn't say to them, no, no, I've got other work that I must do among you. He gets back in the boat and he goes. The only thing that happened on the other side was that Jesus met this man. And, and this man, let me, uh, I'll call him the tomb warrior. We've heard of the tomb raider, right? Um, we'll call him the tomb warrior. Because he lived among the tombs and he was just warring with himself and with everyone else. Cutting himself with stones, crying out and being a fearful nuisance. And yet Jesus had compassion. As a, an organization, part of our focus and mandate since inception, London City Mission was started in, in 1835 by a, a brother called David Naismith. And his passion was to reach the least reached of London, those who are least likely to hear. Some would say the least and the last of the lost. And that is part of our DNA as an organization. We, we desire to go into those spaces and places where others seldom go. I wouldn't say where angels fear to tread. And yet, maybe where saints do. And this is our calling, and we see this in the compassion of the Lord, that we're to look to and reach out to those who are in those spaces. And yet as Jesus arrives there, we see a certain fearlessness in our Lord. Can you imagine the scene? As soon as Jesus arrives, it says, immediately, this man responded to his arrival, this tomb warrior roused. And not only did he, he rise, but he ran. He ran toward, can you imagine? Put yourself in that situation for a moment. 
Now, we know what it's like. We can be in, uh, among people, and all of a sudden, everyone starts running. Our instinct is to think, why is everyone running? And we're beginning to get on our toes. And I, I, maybe I'm speaking for myself. At that point, I'm ready to run. There's, I don't even know what I'm running from. And yet Jesus was faced with this tomb warrior who was rowdy and uncontrollable, who, in, who induced fear in the community. And this man was running towards him. My instinct would be to run back to the boat, start pushing the boat, wading as far as I can, jumping into the boat, and paddling with my hands to get away. I'm not waiting for wind. <laughs> Yet Jesus was fearless in the face of this man. Now, to add tension to drama, some commentators say actually it would have been quite dark at this time. Because in chapter 4, verse 35, it says that just before the storm, it was evening. It was already evening when they had set out and encountered the storm. And this is a part of, of the continuous narrative. And so you're talking about a rowdy, uncontrollable man running out of a graveyard in the dark. And yet Jesus... Our Messiah was fearless. Even as the man ran at him, making a loud cry. Wow, sorry for the children that are in the prams. And yet Jesus was fearless in the face of expressed evil. In fact, not only was Jesus fearless, but we see from this encounter that the tomb warrior wasn't the one to be feared. But Jesus is. And you might think, hmm, that doesn't kind of sit right with my impression of Jesus. Gentle Jesus, meek and mild. Mary's little lamb and all the images we have from Sunday school. And yet, Jesus is also recognized as being the conquering lion of the tribe of Judah. We understand at the end of the story in the book of Revelation that actually, when Jesus comes back, he won't be coming back on a donkey. He'll be riding on a white horse with a two-edged sword in his mouth because he truly is the sovereign God. And so, this evil presence that had overcome this man, recognized Jesus. I was born and raised in South London, and I'm given to colloquialisms, and sometimes, unfortunately, they slip into my sermons, so forgive me if I afflict you with them every now and then, but I will try and explain. One of the colloquialisms that comes to mind in this situation is real recognize real. Amen, I got an amen out here. And that has many applications, and we won't go into that. But in this situation, this tomb warrior, who was really regarded as a ruffian, 
He recognized the real authority, the real power, when it was in front of him. When Jesus said, all power in heaven and earth is given unto me, he wasn't evangelistically talking. He wasn't overstating the situation. We see here in verse 7, the Spirit cries out, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, or I beg you, do not torment me. And yet Jesus was already taking action against this evil presence. Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And even then, in verse 10, we see how the response was for this overwhelming spirit to be asking permission, begging Jesus, almost as if to be pleading, don't send me out of the country. And, and, and what this is alluding to is the fact that even these spirits understand that there is a time when their time is up. Amen. Their time is up and, and their judgment, which is determined, will be fulfilled. And they will be banished into judgment and will have no more freedom to terrorize people. Amen. And in the first coming of the Son of God, they recognized his status and they thought, is this it? Is, it? is it over for us? In the book of Revelation, it says, the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur and where the beast and the false prophet were and they will be tormented day and night again forever and ever. Amen. Sorry, let me read that again. The devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Their end is certain. I heard somebody once say, you know, when the devil reminds you of your past, just remind him of his future. And so, these spirits realized that they had to seek, they had to submit to the superior power. Amen. They had to seek permission from he who is Lord over all, including the powers of darkness. And they were afraid. They were in fear of their destiny. In fact, we also see that Jesus' power was so unexplainable that the very people who saw the man clothed, sitting down, calm, renewed in, in mind and, and behavior were so stunned at this transformation that even they were afraid. Jesus had given permission to these spirits when he asked their name, he said, Legion. 
The legion was said to have been three to 6,000 soldiers in a Roman um, scheme of, of uh, military organization. Whether it was so many spirits or it was just, you know, their way of acknowledging there's a gang of us here. Nonetheless, there was an overwhelming presence in this man's life and yet Jesus with no chains, no shackles, no stress, no fuss, commanded their departure. And they went into these pigs, which are considered in, in Jewish tradition unclean animals. So it was almost a, a fitting place for them to go. And then these unclean spirits and these unclean animals went over into the sea. Now these pigs would have been the livelihood of these people. Maybe that contributed to their fear. This Jesus is a disruptor. He's, he's, he has the power to turn our community, to turn our society upside down. Amen. Don't we long to see that kind of disruption where we would see our communities turned upside down? Amen. Jesus has the power to disrupt our communities. I mean, he disrupted our lives. Regardless of where you're at in your relationship with the Lord, there's no doubt that you are here today because God is at work in your life. If you're online, you're listening online because God is at work in your life. And yet that is a disruptive work. He seeks to disrupt all that is wrong, to disrupt all that enslaves us, to disrupt all that holds us back from experiencing the fullness of his love and walking in the personhood that he purposed as one made in the image of God. And so there was fear. And there's a note of caution here because the Bible speaks that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And if anyone is in a place where we have not surrendered our heart and life to the Lord, trust in Jesus to save us, to rescue us, we ought to have a certain fearful intrepidation of what awaits us. Because Jesus made it clear that there is, there is salvation in no other. He said in John 14 verse 6, no one comes to the Father but through me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. There isn't hope anywhere else. Only in Christ. And so it's important that we don't make the mistake to reject Jesus in the same way that the people of that community did. Salvation came to their shores. He stood among them, and yet they rejected him. I was baffled. I was just like, surely the opposite was meant to happen. They're meant to cry out to Jesus and say, you know what, we've got so many problems. Please come and help us. And yet they were self-sufficient. 
They were secure in themselves. They, did, they felt like they didn't need Jesus. In fact, they didn't want Jesus. And it breaks our hearts. You know, we try and share the gospel with people. We try and live it out. We, we look for opportunities and people seem so disinterested. And we, and we wrestle with that challenge. And, and we feel like, why is it so hard to share such great news? You ever thought that? I mean, look at, the, look at all of the other things that get airtime, that people consume, lap up. And yet it feels so hard to share such great news that there is a loving God who offers forgiveness freely to all who would swim the seven seas, climb the highest mountains. No! Who would trust in Jesus. Hallelujah. And yet they begged Jesus to depart. They weren't ready for Jesus. And sometimes in our efforts to to share the gospel, we encounter those people who are not ready. The tomb warrior, (laughs) he was ready. It it, it reminds me of the, the story of one of our missionaries, Luke Carson, and he heads up our, our prison's work, and I, I, we have team day once a month. I spoke to him on Wednesday, and I said, bro, I remember you shared a story, and I need to check this with you. I'm going to Westminster Chapel on Sunday, and I, and I don't want to get this wrong, and it was so crazy, I just got to make sure I dot the I's and cross the T's. And basically, Luke goes into prisons and, and visits people, and he's part of a team, and one of his team members, Rob Hooks, had had been going into uh, this prison, I think it was Wormwood Scrubs or Pentonville, one of those, and he, he, he would go into the prisons and over time would build relationships with inmates and be able to share the Bible with them, encourage them in prayer as they seek the Lord. And Rob, Rob was unable to go on this occasion, and so Luke went in his place. And this particular inmate that he was going to see for a a one-to-one visit, was one of the most notorious inmates, permanently segregated. This, This inmate was known to be uncontrollable. Anytime there was a need for this inmate to leave the cell, there always had to be a minimum of four staff present because he was so hard to contain. He was known for smearing his cell with all kinds of bodily emissions, including his own blood. And that's notable because he was HIV positive. And on this particular day when Luke went there to meet with him, they were just like, nah. The prison staff were like, nah. And Luke was like, you know, it's really important that you know, we, we, we try and keep our commitment. These, these, these inmates don't have much else. And they were just like, he's, 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 he's not in a good place. It's not going to work. He'd been given a lot of trouble. And so Luke said, look, maybe I can just go and, and, and try and speak to him through the door, at least uh, let him know that I'm here and so on. And they were like, well, for what it's worth, you can have a go. And so they take Luke to the cell and slide back the flap and the inmate is in there and he's going mad. And when the flap's open, he's banging the door and he's making noise and 
Luke says, uh, mate, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm Luke Carson, and, and, and I'm, I'm a friend of Rob Hooks. And, and as soon as he said Rob's name, he settled. And he came, he's, Rob, Rob, how's he doing? And started to engage in conversation, and Luke was able to have the Bible study with him that he had intended to have when he went there. Such is the power of God. Let us not be deluded or deceived into thinking that there are those who seem as though they're not ready as the tomb warrior, as the Saul who became the apostle Paul, when really God is doing such a work in them, despite outward impressions, there's a yearning, a longing. And it means that we have to push past our fears and be willing to engage. And yet, Jesus has conquered the worst that we could fear. Amen? Amen? And so, even though there were those who rejected him, who weren't ready for him, Jesus was promoted. The tomb warrior, now restored, renewed, wanted to go with Jesus. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. Listen, this work that has been done among you in your life needs to be spread among your people. You need to go. Go to your people. Go and share with them all that I have done for you. God has done a work in our lives. It might not be as dramatic. It might not make a movie script. But it's real. Each one of us have a story to tell. Now, you might be very early in your journey, or you may even not be at this point seeking connection. And the Lord invites you to come, but there are those of us who are further along the road and sometimes may lose confidence in the validity and the significance of God's work in your life. You might have been somebody who was a workaholic and you weren't out there, you know, causing problems in society and yet you were drowning in this incessant drive to do more and get more and be more and just feeling at the end of yourself. And Jesus came and said, it's okay. It's not necessary. And he brought relief and he said, I've finished it, I've done it. Rest in me. That is a story that many of our colleagues in our workplaces need to hear. Jesus alone is enough. And so, as our tomb warrior went away, he declared in, in the Decapolis, also known as the Ten Cities, all that Jesus done for him, and everyone marveled. And you notice, these are the same people marveling who rejected Jesus. Sometimes we might invite people to church, and they're not quite ready for that. But they'll be glad to hear your story. They'll, glad, they'll be glad to hear how, what is God doing in your life? How is he speaking to you? 
It may be over a coffee in the coffee shop or lunchtime at work or at the school gate. God has a purpose for you. I feel like that's my time warning. Um, I should have agreed a signal because I'd, I'd be here for uh, another hour. <laughs> Amen, sister. <laughs> and everybody says, oh no, sister. <laughs> and so I want to encourage you. Jesus has faced down the worst and wickedest of things that we could experience. You know, when I was going through this, I thought to myself, there is no reason that I shouldn't share the gospel with anyone. I mean, what's the worst that could happen? It's not as if they're going to just turn into a tomb warrior all of a sudden. And yet, Jesus subdues and brings to submission the worst. We can be encouraged. Now, to close, Mark Twain said, courage is not the absence of fear, but the mastery of it. And I like that on a level. There's a level at which it acknowledges that fear may remain, but courage is stepping over that fear. But I feel that there's also a level at which it can be a bit pressurizing because it might suggest that we have to master our fears. Jesus is the master. I say that courage is feeling fear and yet still acting because we know that Jesus has already won. Amen? Jesus has already won. And it doesn't matter if you're wrestling with your own issues. Hold on to Jesus. Walk with Jesus. Follow Jesus. He has already won. You may be wrestling with the courage and the confidence to share Jesus with others. That's okay. Jesus has already won. He sends us out in the same way that he sent out our renewed tomb warrior. May we go and share the good news of the Lord. Amen? As we conclude, you may be in a place where you're encouraged at the power, the strength, the compassion, the authority, the love that we have read of in the text today. The Bible says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he is present by his spirit who continues the work of his ministry among us today. And as we conclude, there will be opportunity for prayer. And there will be a team over on my right, your left, at the front, who will be very willing to pray with you as you seek to confront whatever issues, challenges. It may be, like I say, gospel ministry, personal issues, regardless. You may be seeking some encouragement and strengthening in going out to share the gospel. And that's what we're about as London City Mission. 
We're, we're not about ourselves. We're about you, the local church, strengthening you, helping you that we might go together to those forgotten places and forgotten peoples. On March the 4th, we have a, a pet day, which means practical evangelism training. And it does what it says on the tin. It's very practical. It's all about evangelism. And it's a space where you can get trained and equipped to do those things. And so please do feel free. I know on your seats you will see that there's brochures about the ministry. They are for you. So please do take them with you. Um, There's a, a link given on the back where you can learn more about our ministry at the the website, lcm.org.uk, more information about our pet day and other things that are going on. And more importantly, just the ways in which we're able to encourage one another. I still need encouragement. I still find it a challenge. None of us claim to be experts, but we know that Jesus is with us. Amen? Let me pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your amazing power. We thank you for the way in which you have revealed yourself in time and space as the conquering lion of the tribe of Judah. You are the great and awesome one. Truly, victory has a name and your name is Jesus. Love has a name and your name is Jesus, as we sang earlier. We thank you, Lord, and we pray that you would make that real to us. Strengthen us in you. May our voice be lifted loud in declaration of your goodness, of your great news, the gospel. Help us, Lord, we ask. Draw us closer to you. May we know your victory in our lives. Thank you, Lord, for facing down our demons. In your name, amen. Thanks for listening to Sermon Audio from Westminster Chapel. If you'd like to partner with us in making disciples and sharing the gospel, please consider making a one-off or regular donation. Visit westminsterchapel.org.uk forward slash giving to find out how.